So today I am preaching from an Old Testament passage because the lectionary covers uh, several passages that just by chance I have covered in what I think are pretty excruciating depth in the last 12 months. So to go back to them, I'm like, I really don't have anything else to say right now about those two passages. Uh, so normally what happens is you get like a in the lectionary, you get a gospel passage, you get a New Testament passage, uh, an epistle of some sort, and you get a Old Testament passage. So when we come across something that I feel like I've covered pretty extensively, I then kind of start looking more broadly at the, the options. And the, the passage that we have today from the Old Testament is a psalm, uh, and it's actually Psalm 23, which is just about the most well-known psalm I think there is. It's the, 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 the old kind of King James version. It's the, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That, that, it's that passage. Uh, and so part of the problem with preaching that passage is that it kind of lends itself towards just reading it and then sitting down. And then that's very profound. And, you know, it's, oh, wow, edgy. He's just read the, but I'm not going to do that because that would take all of two minutes. Uh, and then, and, and then I'd get in trouble later for not doing my job. Uh, so I have prepared some remarks and thoughts on this. I'm going to be reading from the Old Testament for everyone, which uh, you might recall the New Testament for everyone, which is translated by N.T. Wright. He didn't do the Old Testament. He's a New Testament scholar, a Greek expert. So he got a guy named John Goldingay um, to do the Old Testament for that same translation. And he's a very, very well-known scholar, certainly in the um, in the world that I exist in, in terms of my academic studies. This is a guy that comes up all the time. So I'm going to read from his translation, because I think sometimes when we read passages that we've heard again and again and again and again, we can get a little bit like, like we just they gloss over. We kind of, we stop listening because we already know what it's going to say. So I'll be reading from his translation because it is different uh, and different enough that it's, it will feel like you're reading this passage anew. So I might just start by reading it out. It says, My shepherd being Yahweh, I do not lack. He enables me to lie down in grassy pastures. He leads me to waters that are totally still. He restores my life. He guides me in faithful tracks for the sake of his name. And even when I walk in a deathly dark canyon... I am not afraid of disaster because you are with me. Your club and your cane, they comfort me. You spread a table in front of me in full view of the people watching for me. You have bathed my head in oil. My cup, over, uh, my cup fills me up. Yes, goodness and commitment pursue me all the days of my life. I will return to Yahweh's house for long days. You'll note I even slipped up reading it then, went into the, uh, the other translation by default in my brain. My shepherd being Yahweh, I do not lack. There's, there is something just so matter-of-fact about this statement. My shepherd is Yahweh, of course I have everything I need. My shepherd is Yahweh, of course all of the needs of my heart and my life and, and my flesh are, are met because my shepherd is Yahweh. It's a security of knowing. It's a deep inner peace that comes from that knowing. Um, I have often commented on the, the great security of knowing that I had growing up. My parents are, are still married and... Um, and had a happy, good marriage, and 
Um, but on top, so I felt a security in family and that I know many of my friends did not experience. But I also felt a security in terms of financial provision. My, my family, I grew up in a relative affluence, uh, which meant that I never had need. I never thought, oh, how are we going to pay for that? I never had that moment. I think for, uh, like, um, I know of my friends or I hear stories of kids saying, well, you can have my, you know, you can have my money, mum and dad, if we need it to pay the bills, kind of like a kid giving up their $2 um, pocket money because they think that will make a difference. I, I never experienced that. I did grow up in, in a affluence. We traveled, we had homes that we owned, and when the car got broken, we just fixed it. There was never a time at the, the, the grocery store where my mum was like, can I afford to pay for these things? And because of that, I got a, a privilege, a luxury. It's an incredible luxury to... Uh, I remember even when I got older and I went from being a very, very poor student to being a pretty poor non-student. But when you can put a full tank of petrol in the car and not have to worry... Uh, I was talking to Dave before the service about this V-Dub Golf, this, uh, I think it was a late 60s or a 70s V-Dub Golf diesel. And I remember when it died because I'd put a full tank of petrol in it. And before I'd driven maybe 50 kilometers, the car broke. And it wasn't my car, it was my parents' the car that they'd like had there for the kids to drive. And it completely broke. And I was more upset that I'd put money to put petrol in the car than the car was broken. Because the cost of the car wasn't really my problem, but the cost of the full take of petrol, that really hurt. Would you really laughing at me for? <laughs> yeah, so running out of petrol, like that was something that I experienced in my early, uh, late teens and early 20s, but I grew up feeling that, that sense of security that happens when you just have enough. When I went to uni, I moved back in with my parents, I didn't pay rent. That was a huge privilege and an opportunity, and it meant that I had enough. When I uh, wanted to buy a home just recently, my parents helped. If anyone is wondering why we have such a beautiful home, it's because we lived in community for 17 years, but really it's also because I have uh, wealth in my family and they helped. I have always known that there was enough. I have never experienced a sense of financial lack. Another time, the one time in my life I had an accident, uh, I remember the, um, there was oil on, the, on a wet road and, and the car slid off the road and hit a, hit, a, um, hit a tree. Not like it was not going fast at all. Like it was, but it was enough that the car got broken and, and my parents just said, are you okay? Don't worry about the car. We can just we'll get the car fixed. And they just got the car fixed. But it wasn't a question of finances. They didn't say, and now you have to go and save up the money to f pay for this, to fix this. We've always had enough. And because I haven't carried that anxiety and that financial stress, it's meant that I could go into ministry. A lot of my peers in ministry worry about their retirement. There just isn't enough money. And they worry about the life of service and commitment that comes from being in ministry. But honestly, I just, it wasn't a consideration for me because I knew one day it would, I would have enough. My shepherd being Yahweh, I do not lack. This is what is going on here. The, the author of this psalm is saying, God, God provides for me. I have enough. I don't need to have the stress of not having enough in my life because I have enough. But more than that, this is a political statement that's being made here. You see, the, the imagery of shepherds and, uh, and, and a flock is imagery that is uh, given in the Bible of kingship. And a good shepherd is a, like a good king. And a good king is meant to provide for their flock and protect their flock. And this is saying, my father, my shepherd, my king 
provides for me. He never fails to provide. And it's something we don't really understand, that kingship idea, because we live in a uh, capitalistic, democratic kind of society. And the only way that our system of governance actually works is if we feel like we don't have enough. The constant need for economic growth, the constant need to buy more things, to meet those, um, those extra standards, to get the new phone, to get the bigger thing. To, like we, our, our whole society is based on the idea that marketing needs to convince us we don't have enough. But in a model of kingship, the king is meant to provide and people are meant to have enough. The shepherd is not distant. He's not ethereal. He's not out there, over there. The shepherd is present with his flock. The shepherd uh, sleeps nestled next to his, uh, his flock. He's intimately known and knows them intimately. He's not aloof. He enables me to lie down in grassy pastures. He leads me to waters that are totally still. So this is a shepherd that provides more than is needed. A shepherd that is concerned not just for, um, you know, that the, that the flock would be fattened up for market, but he wants them to have peace. He brings them to grassy pastures. He provides what they need in the most beautiful ways. He brings them to waters that are still. There's nothing dangerous about these waters. He, he provides a place where we can recline. For an animal to recline safely like that, it must feel like nothing is going to get it. There's no predator that can harm it. This is a shepherd that is uh, not afraid of the wolf or the bear or the lion. This is a shepherd that is prepared. He restores my life. He guides me in faithful tracks for the sake of his name. He restores my life. So this is going beyond the physical need and to something much deeper than that. This, this shepherd of ours, remember, because this is the, the metaphor, the allegory, whatever it is of this, of the shepherd is really, we're talking about people here. We're talking about the relationship between God and his people and between the author of this, uh, who we, we assume this is a Psalm of David. This is a guy that's being pursued by enemies. You go to the chapter before this, it's not... He, his life is kind of, he gets bullied, he gets picked on, he's, he's scared, he's afraid, but he knows that Yahweh is his shepherd and that he won't lack. He knows that Yahweh will restore him. This is uh, the shepherd that wants to restore us from our hurt and our grief or our heartbreak or our trauma, our anxiety, our despair. This is a shepherd that knows us and cares for us. So I want to encourage you to look for the places in your life that are still that have peace and just be grateful for those moments and those places because they're not always there. We find out in a minute that, that even this, this psalmist, they go through a, a dark, uh, cavernous, scary place, but there are moments of the grassiness and there are moments of that still water and we need to take those moments to sit and be grateful, to sit and say, I have enough. Because life, there are days in life that, that just suck, where things just don't go right and we don't feel like we have enough, but there are the moments where things are just beautiful and still and good and we must sit in those moments and be grateful. So that's what's happening here. The, the author of this psalm is just sitting and being grateful in that moment and knowing, wow, this is good. I, I have God's blessing in my life. And maybe there's turmoil all around you. Maybe you have been uh, in a terrible place. But right now, in that, in that glimmer of moment, you can just say, I am grateful for this 
grassy pasture on this still water. I can be restored and renewed. And the, the reason that we are restored and renewed is because it pleases the shepherd, but also because it then becomes the way that we are then led in the path of life. He restores my life. He guides me in faithful tracks for the sake of his name. For the sake of his name. This is an interesting phrase that comes up all the time in the Old Testament. And I think the context where it comes up most frequently is when it's talking about how Yahweh brought his people out of Egypt. Uh, so again and again in the scripture, we find this picture. It says that he did this for the sake of his name, that his great name would be known among the nations is the, the phrasing that is often used. Yahweh does these things because it is a testimony to his glory. It is a testimony to his greatness. He protects his flock and all the other flocks are jealous. He looks after his sheep and all the other sheep say, we want to go and join that flock. The grass is greener in Yahweh's flock. It's always greener in his flock, on his pasture. We should go and join him. He, he restores us and he leads us faithfully and he does that for the sake of his name. The well-being of the sheep is a testimony to the shepherd's provision and protection. And then, and then knowing that, it then turns in verse 4, even when I walk in a deathly dark canyon. Even though, even when, this is a, an, an inevitability. It is a present reality often for the author of this particular psalm. And we've all had those seasons. Hell, you might have a week where it's like day one, grassy pasta. Day two, nice still water. Day three, deathly dark canyon. Day four, back to the grassy pasture. It's very optimistic. <laughs> I'd love to have three days of grassy pastures and still water to my one day of canyon. But we've all had those days. We've all had those weeks, sometimes seasons, where we just don't know if the pain or the unknowingness or the hurt or the worry or the despair will pass by. We can feel stuck, stuck in our lives, stuck in our jobs, stuck in our family, stuck in whatever that rut is and feel like there is no hope that it will ever change. It is so dark you can't see your way out of that canyon. And the shepherd is still good. Living in denial of the dark canyon is completely pointless. There are some elements uh, in Christianity, especially in evangelicalism, uh, that when they're in a deep, dark valley, they spend their entire time uh, proclaiming how beautifully lit it is. But it's not true. And living in denial does not help. When things are bad, it's okay to say things are bad. You are allowed to say, I am in a deep, dark canyon and I feel lost. Because the shepherd, he knew the way into that canyon and he knows the way out, even if it is still dark in the midst of it. The shepherd is leading his sheep. He restores my life. He guides me in faithful tracks for his name's sake. Sometimes that faithful track goes through a valley. Sometimes the faithful track through the valley is the shortcut to the green pasture on the other side. Sometimes... We don't do such good jobs following and we just wander into dark valleys. I don't think that God orchestrates the awful things in our lives, but I do know that he knows the way out of them. And if not in this life, definitely he brings justice and restoration in the next. He is a good God and a good shepherd and he sees clearly even when 
we sit in darkness. Even when I walk in a deathly dark canyon, I am not afraid of disaster because you are with me. Your club and your cane, they comfort me. This, uh, this, this line, because you are with me, it, um, it's the perfect center of this psalm. It's right in the middle. And uh, w- when you look in Hebrew poetry, this is a significant thing, the structure, the chiastic structure, whatever. But the, this center line kind of gives you the key theological thing. So everything else is hinging, working up to this moment. Because you are with me. This is the most important part of the psalm. We've got the good stuff, we've got the bad stuff, but we have you with us. Your club and your cane, they comfort me. So it might be dark, it might be bleak, but the shepherd is in that valley with you. The shepherd knew his way into that valley and the shepherd knows the way out the other side. So don't lose hope and don't be afraid of disaster. He isn't going to abandon you in the dark. And if you somehow stumbled in there all by yourself, he can find you. And he carries a club and a cane, a rod and a staff, one to fend off the enemies and the other to pull you in close. He is ready to challenge and fight the beasts. He is ready to guide you out of the darkness. And I am comforted by the knowledge that the shepherd is ready to go in to fight for me. My atonement theology, which is to say what happened on the cross and and how it is that we are saved is predicated on this idea that Christ's death was primarily about defeating the beast. The consequence of sin is death, but Jesus pays the price of death. He defeats death entirely so that we no longer have to live in that consequence. My shepherd comes into the deepest, darkest valley with me and he is ready to defend me. And I want to model my life on the shepherd, on Yahweh, on Jesus, on the good shepherd. Uh, And that means that when my friends are in dark places, it's about saying, I'm going to find my way to go and be with them. I'm going to allow them to be seen and known and heard without judgment, without condescension. I want to be like, like my great shepherd, Uh, I want to be like that and to be deeply, intimately connected with people. Our story uh, here in in the psalm takes a bit of a turn now. So it starts out, this whole opening first four verses is about the psalmist um, saying that Yahweh is his shepherd. And now for verses um, five and onwards, we turn from the shepherd imagery to a host imagery. You spread a table in front of me in full view of the people watching for me. You have bathed my head in oil. My cup fills me up. This is a, so the shepherd provides for his sheep and a good host provides for their guests. This good host sets out a, a table in front of them, which is the imagery of saying there's plenty of food. There is more than enough spread. It's all here spread out before you. In full view of the people watching for me. So remember, uh, David was being pursued by his enemies. 
And he's like, Yahweh looks after me and everybody else looks on. Everybody else looks on at the blessing and the provision that Yahweh gives me and it confuses and confounds and frustrates them. You have bathed my head in oil. My cup uh, fills me up. There is more than enough. Your goodness, yes, goodness and commitment pursue me all the days of my life and I will return to Yahweh's house for long days. The, uh, the NIV translates this as goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. But it's, it's not a great translation the, uh, because that idea of being followed by uh, goodness and love is neat, but it loses the imagery. Because what it was saying is there's all these people who are watching me, who are pursuing me, my, my enemies are pursuing me, but actually it's Yahweh's love and goodness that are pursuing me. So we, we lose that when it talks about following. So the language of pursuit is important in the Hebrew here. It's not the enemies I need to be concerned about. It's not the dark place I need to be concerned about. Because what is following me, what is pursuing me, what is doggedly coming after me is goodness and love. Goodness and commitment pursue me all the days of my life. So you can dodge, you can swerve, you know, like, like you try to escape uh, an enemy. Except it's not the enemy that's coming for you, it's God's goodness. And you can dodge, you can swerve, you can try to avoid it, but he will catch you. There is no place beyond the reach of God's goodness. It's his plan and his purpose to find you and to bring you into his home and for you to be there for long days. There is... Um, in the, in the language there, it repeats uh, itself, I think, which is why it talks about long days, uh, which is why we in, the, in the other translations it says forever or forever and ever. Uh, Yahweh's coming for you with goodness. He's coming for you with commitment, uh, which the NIV translates as love. And he's going to bring you into home for long, long days. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you pursue us and you pursue us, and you provide for us, and you love us, and you are faithful. And in the dark places, you come with us and defend us. You care for us. And that you will restore us. You will restore our souls. You will restore us from the hurt and from the grief and from the, uh, the brokenness. All of these things you have promised. For those who mourn, we will be comforted. For those who are poor, we will be made rich. For those who are meek, we will inherit the earth. Your kingdom will turn things upside down and around. And all of the injustice that has been done will be made right. Because you are a good shepherd, you are a good host. So Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be good and faithful servants. That we would be good and faithful sheep. And that we would trust you that we would recline peacefully beside those waters. In Jesus' name, amen.